You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And welcome to Gobbler Country's Talking Turkey. This is John Schneider with my co-host Brian Manning and a special guest, little return trip to the fold for a short visit. My son Joshua, who's also known as Blue Lone Wolf and used to write for the site, Josh's Twitter handle of VT Stat Boy, and he still has that that I know of. And he's become a serious football guru over from his freshman year until he decided to kind of sort of hang it up last year, but he still is good at and a really good analyst. So I asked him to come and chip in and, and see if he's got a couple of things to say. Believe me, he has a couple of things to say. So how's it going, Brian? I'm good. How are you guys tonight? You, Josh? I'm doing all right. Still trying to fathom why that game became the game it did on so many different levels I can't even count. Okay, what we're talking, what we what we got to clarify to everybody is, yeah, right. We have to clarify this. Yes, we won. We won on Saturday. We beat Miami. We went to Coral Gables. We're on the road in the heat and massive humidity of Coral Gables, Florida. The guys went down there and they pulled off a win like absolutely nobody thought they would. The cap was a little tough, but the barbecue sauce helped. Yeah, we managed to beat the one program in America that might be a bigger mess than we are. Good job, everybody. Yep, I totally agree. It's it's like like we talked about last week. We're we're a long way from those Miami Virginia Tech games from about fifteen years ago. So I think Miami sucks, Manny Diaz sucks, but they came along at the right time. Thank goodness. Well, you know, the game was interesting in the fact that it started off gangbusters. The offense came out with some sort of rhythm and flow. And of course, at the helm of that offense was number two, Hendon Hooker, who is an impressive young man, by the way. He's a very impressive young man, very smart. His father was a star player for North Carolina A&T. And Josh, you can tell everybody the uh, the, the same thing that, that you've told me repeatedly. North Carolina A&T is the Alabama of the HBC, HBU schools, it is a sterling program, and they are... If North Carolina A&T actually could present a high... And, and not saying that their football call program isn't of high quality, but if they could be of the level at which they could be in, like, the ACC, most of the kids that are of, like, three- and four-star quality from that area in North Carolina would be going to A&T and not anywhere else. 
Yeah, it's true. So, you know, Hendon Hooker's got a lot of football in his background, and he stepped on the field ready. That's all I got to say about that. I've looked at his, you know, his numbers are, oh, he was 10 of 20. Well, as Fuente went through the litany out of the missed passes, there were three clean drops. There was one deflected pass. There was one, actually, there were two deflected passes. One was a clip deflection that just had the ball sail over. The other one was a batted pass. And there were there were a couple of other things. But Hooker Hooker got, what's the perfect quarterback rating in Yahoo? 170. I know in the um, NFL it's 158.3. but That is correct yeah. in the NFL, but for some odd reason, college is yeah. 176.8, and his rating was perfect. He had 184 yards with three touchdowns and no picks. That's not barn burning. He should have probably had one on a pass that was kind of ill-advised over the I think that one got, I think that was the one that got I think that was the one that got clipped. Believe me, there's there's always look, it's football. Anyone that's ever played football will tell you that there is a huge element of luck to the game that people just don't want to mention, but there are certain qualifiers to how Hooker did in terms of they spent a lot of the game trying to give him very simple, very easy one read. Like you can tell just watching how they manipulate the offense and what throws they were giving him. Hey, they were open. So let's not get too disparaging all that for once. And thank the good God almighty they finally remembered that Dalton Keene is a member of their pass receiving core and he caught three touchdowns on the day. Oh, and flattened Trayvon Hill on a block that was just glorious. Oh, that was a glorious but... block. I, <laughs> I, I almost jumped out of my chair with that block. <laughs> Nailed him! Nailed him! I mean, for all of you Hokie fans out there, that's got to be some, no small amount of karmic retribution for some things that are, I mean, it is sort of hearsay, but you know, smoke fire being a thing. We'll, we'll see where that goes. Yeah. So that was the good thing you brought up keen, Brian, you brought up a couple of things that, that on the defensive side of the ball that you really noticed were, were standouts that were when we were talking before. I thought Alan Tisdale played really well. I've been high on him the whole time. I thought Connor played pretty well. I know the corners got some, interceptions I don't know how much those were great plays every time but I was impressed by mostly I was impressed by Tisdale and Connor were were the guys that I were was most impressed with Ashby was good as always I mean he's not a star or anything but he's a good consistent player on a team that doesn't have many of those yeah okay in the first half I was really impressed with the interactivity with the linebackers and the defensive line and did you notice Several times you had two mics lining up. You had both Ashby and Hollyfield lined up as, now, as here, five four middle linebackers. Now here's the here's the problem with that though. This is the it, downside of someone trying to trying to probably do maybe a little bit too much. And this is just an observation over the, the period of the past couple of games that I've seen. I, I personally think that Dax Hollifield losing the weight he did actually hurt him more than it helped him because he didn't gain enough speed to not be replaced by, as you said, Tisdale there, Brian. Yeah. And at the same time, he's become easier to push around. And once offensive linemen get on him, it's been worse for him. 
good observation there. So I agree with that. Yeah, he's so, been he's been having yeah. trouble shedding blocks, and it's and he went the exact opposite way that that Matua Puaka went when Matua Puaka was in the same position. Andrew went the other way. Andrew worked out hard and did his thing by gaining some weight and gaining some status. Well, but here's the problem that we, they were dealing with. You're trying to you're trying to square peg round hole Hollowfield into being a backer which in Bud Foster's defense is the 230-pound, 235-pound outside linebacker that does a lot of the chasing and everything. Yeah, when, and that's Tisdale. Um, and that's yeah. Tisdale. Yeah. And here's the problem. Because of the fact that you've got, you're trying to fit on two mics, which was at, which are Ashby and Hollifield, because really, honestly, both of them are middle linebackers in terms of build and size. Now you're trying to fit together the wrong type of people at the same time not because either of them are necessarily bad players, just because this is what you have. These are the ingredients you've got, but you don't have enough speed with two of them the way they are. Yeah. Well, we're going to pick this up on the other side of the break because the, you know, the, the, the adjustments and the changes had to come fast and furious. And sometimes they didn't. We're going to be back with you in a minute or two. We're back. We left off with the linebackers and, and adjustments and making adjustments and the fact that, that in the first half, we seem to see some. In the second half, Brian, what the heck happened? You, you've got some ideas. I, I don't know that I have any ideas. I think I see this all the time, and I don't, I don't really know. Every time you think you have an answer for it, it's – I don't know if it was, it was coaching, if it was missed assignments. I don't, I don't know what it was. It was uh, – it was interesting. I, I don't really know that I have a specific observation on what went wrong exactly. What do you guys think? My first thought is that this coaching staff and a lot of coaching staffs in general, this isn't necessarily a specific indictment of Fonte or anything. Don't realize that in this day and age, it is never ever safe to stop scoring. No. Always foot to the ground with these quick passing games and quick outs. And the fact that in college, there are so many more opportunities to stop the clock at a first down out of bounds, you know, especially with all the penalties that get called left and right back and forth, never stop running your offense, always kill everybody. And guess what? They got too conservative, and they're already conservative enough that they're scared to th – uh, the fact that Hendon Hooker only threw 20 passes, of which a lot of those were very short dump-offs to the tight ends and everything, and someone's going to capitalize on this. Probably not going to be the next opponent, Rhode Island, because, I mean, in theory, we should be able to take them down with uh, uh, the talent that we do have and what we do have, despite the fact that this team is still – indecipherable enigma of of an existence but someone's going to figure out that they don't trust Hendon Hooker in a mid to long range passing game and they're going to blanket the line of scrimmage and dare us to throw deep and I don't know if the coaches are going to be gutsy enough to do that yeah and see that this is where it comes in I was watching the press conferences and listening to Fuente and Oh, he's doing a lot better. Somebody took the bottle away from him, so he's not chugging on the water bottle and guarding with that. And they've got him sort of sitting down behind the microphone 
a little bit more relaxed. In today's press conference, he was actually directly answering questions without coach talk and having a little emotion about it, which was like kind of refreshing. But he's still stuck. Well, we make little incremental changes here and incremental changes there. And 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 he doesn't seem to get the fact that if A isn't working, yeah, I got to go to B. I, I agree with Josh on the offense. I mean, you're up that much. He's right in college, even in the NFL, teams come back from 21-28 all the time. You're up that much. You have you have complete control of the game. Run, just run the same offense that got you to that. Run point. the offense. I I I. What's my hashtag that I keep pushing out there? Stand on it, Justin. What happened was after we came back from that halftime, and I'm sitting down, I'm watching the big TV, and the first thing I see is a dive play, and then the second thing I th- see is a dive play. The second series I saw a little short dump off that didn't work, and then a dive play. So you had four in two series, you stalled out with three and outs when your defense is getting gassed because they've already been scored on once in the beginning of the the first few minutes of of the third quarter. Then you went out and went three and out. And and then again, you had the third and Panicsburg kind of thing going on and Hooker got one pattern. There was no diversity of patterns out on the field. There was one pattern out on the field. And, of course, he didn't hit it So because the, this receiver was really covered. So what are you going to do? I guess Hooker was supposed to pull the ball in and run. I don't know. You know, one read and go. I mean, that was the 2016 offense. And we are seeing a hint with Hooker behind the center of, of it, of this being the 2016 offense. But what, what we got was no – recognition of the fact that that wasn't working once that first play series didn't happen all right throw that in the trash can and pull the other ones out that did and go back to the ones that did which is your regular offense seemed to be working okay <laughs> why move away from it but you get scared you get a, it's it's like you're out on a ledge and you, and, and, you, and you poop your pants and you get scared and you wet yourself and 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 and, and then you try to crawl back in the window my point of view is that they still don't trust Hendon Hooker to actually operate a full offense. It's one of the reasons why they kept him on the sideline this entire time. I think that they went with Ryan Willis, not necessarily because they thought that he was necessarily going to be the perfect quarterback for what they were going to do. Uh, disclaimer first, disclaimer first, Josh has never been a Willis fan. Yeah, Josh and I are in the same boat. Let's put it this way. I thought that Ryan Willis is the same thing as Josh Jackson. It's an imperfect solution. Either way you put it, he was going to – he's just a different basket of problems than Jackson was. It's the same kind of level of operating the offense. But the point being, they kept a quarterback out there that doesn't work with the offense. Ryan Willis can't do an RPO to save his life. He's not a runner that really sells that option at all, even though he's not, he's not as unathletic as, like, you know, Sean Glennon was back in the day. So let's not – Let's not disparage him that badly. But the point being, they kept Hooker on the side because they didn't think he could run the offense. And I think that right now, the potential upside that Hooker's athleticism offers and their amount of desperation has forced this change, but it doesn't change the background psychology that it is going on, that they personally don't think that Hooker can run the offense that they want to do. So guess what? Now that ends up with us having a 
uh, an offensive plan that's constipated, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I think uh, they, they were so desperate. I mean, we were calling, we were calling for Hooker for weeks, not because we thought he was great, but because I mean, Will, Willis is what he is. Let's just see what the other guys got. It's completely out of desperation, but. As I said before, with with Fuente, he recruited these guys. They've been in the system two and three years now. Let's see what they got. And I can tell you one thing: is hookers hooker has learned. I think it's time to let to take the training reels off and live with what it's going to be. They won't. Yeah, unfortunately, no, won't. you might be this, right. I'm, this team, this team is not good at all, and it's a perfect time to just see what he's got. But no, they won't do it. it makes too much sense. And here's the problem, though. They're dealing with the dual pressures of right now they've got right now. I I'd hate to be Whit Babcock because not only do I have a fan base that isn't donating any more money. I've got a $15 million contract that I'm on the hook for, for Justin Fuente who currently has the ire of, I'd say 65 to 70% of the Hokies fan base, at least the verbal Hokies fan base. Let's put an asterisk there and that the loudest voices are, obviously the ones that are usually the ones heard, but at the same time, they don't have the money to fire him. If it got to the end of the season, where is that money coming from right now? The Hokie fan reaction has been, let's not go to games. Let's not donate money because we refuse to uh, take this program as seriously and donate for it. But here's the problem. The exact inverse is the thing that needs to happen. And that is you're going to have to spend money. You're going to have to give money because if you want him out, You've got to fork it over because right now the AD would be absolutely dead broke if he fired Fuente. So your guys are going to have to put up with this for a year or two more. Yeah, and and guess what? We got to pay for things too. And so we need to take a break. And on the backside, we'll finish up this discussion, talk a little bit about what we're facing with Rhode Island and maybe chat a little bit more about the future and, and see what happens. We'll be back. Welcome back as we wrap things up on the Miami game. Look forward to Tech's next opponent, Rhode Island, as they come to Blacksburg this Saturday. Before we wrap up the Miami talk, I want to go around and ask what you guys' final thoughts were on that game. Josh, go ahead and lead us off on what what you what your final thoughts were about the, the Miami win. My final thoughts were that game is going to be it's still going to be legendary, but in all the weird ways. That's a game that goes down in the books as a what the bleep happened that day. Because, you know, Tech jumps out to the huge 28 lead on the back of Miami pooping itself on the field. Followed thereafter by the Tech defense getting dysentery at the same time that the Tech offense became constipated. So here's that for your gastrointestinal metaphor of the day. And then on the top of that, just to, just to cap it all off. Miami goes for two, gets it, takes the lead, comes down, gets another thing, doinks the extra point off of the upright, ends up being tied. Then the Hokies have to go down and score something, but unfortunately they don't get the memo that you shouldn't leave your opponent anytime on the clock, score the touchdown, and then have to almost get Heidi-gamed at the end by ESPN, who consequently ran one of the shoddiest and most biased and terrible broadcasts I've seen in a long time. Did you did you guys catch the uh, Dusty Dvorak fighting with all the fans the last two days? I have tried not to pay attention. Oh to yeah, I've been watching the Twitter feeds. 
Jeez. I've been watching the Twitter feeds. Oh my God, has it been beautiful? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, Brian, what are you coming that way with the game? Well, I think the biggest takeaway is nothing about what I actually saw in the field as much as I was actually proud of the of the players how they that game the Friday before it against Duke was probably one of the most embarrassing moments. <laughs> I know it is for the last twenty five years for sure, but that was so embarrassing and and I think we I had given up on them to win one more game this year. I figured they would be three and nine, and I don't know that they're going to be much better than that. It's still, but to, to bounce back after what they faced and and everything and and never quit when Miami came back, took the lead, they still fought with that last drive, got the win. I, I was proud of the team, even though it doesn't really mean much in the grand scheme of things. I, I, I was I was impressed by that. And and here's the other side. I mean, heck, if this is them starting to get it together, it does mean something. But we won't be able to really know until like four or five games down the down the Correct. line. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to see what happens with Rhode Island coming up, and we'll talk about that in a second. The next big chop is going to be UNC. That's going to be a major test because UNC's they're not the best, but they're better than we are again. Uh, what I'm coming away with on this game myself is the the image of this game is the four interceptions and Alan Tisdale blowing cookies all over the turf and then knocking the pass down. Now, maybe that was because everybody was completely grossed out and he could do what he wanted to after that. But that was the image of this football game to me. It was, oh, my God, I just saw that happen. I Shout mean, out to Alan Tisdale laying it all in the field, literally. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yay, go Alan. All right, so we've got a game coming up this weekend that is an unfortunate kind of sort of situation because, Brian, as you said, uh, and then we said, and then Joshua brought up our friends at ECU and and the athletic department at Virginia Tech got into something of a factual, counter-emotional I don't know, but it was an FU contest, and they finally FU'd themselves out of football games. So Tech didn't have a 12th football game and had to go scrambling around last year to find a replacement, and the only people could fill the bill was the University of Rhode Island. Oh, my God. And, yes, I'm hearing Fuente say Beamer things. Well, they've got a quarterback that's really good, and they've got, and they do. They've got a couple of guys that are pretty impressive players, but that isn't the whole football team. And right now, as uh, somebody pointed out, their record is zero and five or something like one that. One and five. five yeah. One and five. So a lot of so close games in that one and five, but you know, close only counts in horseshoes and explosives. At this point, what Tech's got to do is it's got to figure out. It's got to replay the Furman game only the right way. Do, do you understand what I mean by that, Brian? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, not all face first into a win somehow by the goodness of God and all that is the talent difference between Division One A and Division One AA and screw your weird acronyms with FBS, FCS nonsense. It's still, to me, even though I'm not that old a football fan, it's still 1A and 1AA to me. That's how I look at it, too. It's, <laughs> it's hard to well, remember. I get the FCS, F, FBS mixed up more than... And, and also, the FCS encompasses like 90% of college football because it's Division three, Division two, and then Division one. You know, it's ridiculous. 
FCS isn't ridiculous. I love Division Three football. My second son, Patrick, went to CNU, and we used to go down to CNU games, and watching the captains play football was absolutely amazingly fun because those kids are playing football because they love to play football. But I'm telling you what, this game on Saturday better be fun. That's the only thing I got to say about it. This team needs a fun day. It, it needs to be serious about what it does. It needs to be serious about preparing. But the coaches need to take the training wheels off, take the cuffs off, take all of the chains off, and let these kids play some football. They won't. <laughs> I love that attitude. They won't. Every time that I fall back into that trap thinking they will, they won't because they never do. What's their proof? Yeah, they're going to run dive play. They're going to go, oh, we can get away with running dive plays on on this team, which is what they tried to do against Furman. And it turned out Furman's actually got a good defense and a really good offense, and they play good football, and we almost got in trouble. Let's put it this way. This is the weird part because in the beginning when it was, you know, we saw in the ACC championship game against Clemson that first year, that they were pulling out all the stops. They ran fake punts. They did all sorts of crazy stuff. So this is the this is the weird existential question about what the heck happened to this coaching staff. What happened to the 2016 team? Where did that go? Yeah, and it's like, this is the weird part. It's like, Justin Fuente didn't necessarily, I hate it when people generally mention this, but Fuente took a team that was rider being that I was the one who wrote the, the case for Justin Fuente. So... Blame me for him being hired, I guess, if you really want to take an unnecessary blame token on someone. But he took a team that was a Memphis team that was terrible and ran it to 10 wins with a quarterback that, as the NFL would later figure out, wasn't necessarily that great, but took two years of a team and put them at 10 and nine wins after several years in the doldrums with Frank Beamer at the tail end of it. People get all mad and everything about what he's doing now. And it's like, yeah, but what were those six and six seasons under Beamer really any much more impressive or better? I don't know what to tell you. You'd think that we were, you'd think that Justin Fuente took over after Beamer's years in the mid two thousands. He didn't. And we're reaping the, the back end of, the, the recruiting failures of Beamer's staff. We're reaping the fact that we somehow have taken one of the youngest teams in NCAA from last year. And the solution to that has been getting younger. And the talent that they're relying on is even less experienced. So what has happened is you are dealing with a staff that is coming from behind again and again. And why is it not getting any better? You know, people don't want to don't want to hear, hey, he's had four years. And it's like, yeah. But when you think about it, so many of those, so many of the seniors and juniors that should be making up the existence of your team transferred out. And not only that, but a lot of them transferred out and aren't really producing where they went either. So you're talking about a, a talent drain that actually has come out to be almost non-existent. But it's an age drain and an experience drain at the same time and it's holes that you got to fill and they've only got young guys to do it with. So right now it's like you have compounded your own problem and a problem from beforehand. And yeah. the solution is time. And it's something that it's, it's time and it's effort and it's coaching. And I don't know if they're going to have any of those three to actually come through and do it. Well, 
Time is what we're out of. And at this point, Brian and I will be back. We'll have Josh back in, in, in the future sometime, talk about recruiting. I think we're going to have a special recruiting show coming up. We want to talk about recruiting. He used to be our recruiting reporter, but we really, uh, that's the critical game. Hey, at this point, let's see what's going to happen. We love them anyway, even if they are struggling. It was a win Saturday. Love the Hokies, but it doesn't mean that I can't be critical of what I'm seeing on the field. It's just because they win doesn't mean it was perfect. And just because I'm a fan doesn't mean that there aren't problems that I can see on the field. Yeah, that's true. But we always end up with the same thing, right, Brian? That's right. All right. As always, go Hokies.